Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. I don't know if you can believe this, but this is week 10 of Outsiders, our series in this section of the book of Acts. We have this week and then two more weeks, and we'll be done with Outsiders, and we'll take a little break for the Christmas holiday, a little short Christmas series coming up for a few weeks. But this is week 10, and we're going to finish up Acts chapter 11 today, uh, and then finish it up, uh, finish up this Acts chapter 12 the next couple of weeks. Today, we're going to discover what the church needs. We're going to look at this idea from Acts 11, what the church needs. And we're going to look at someone that we have looked at a couple times in Acts already. And we're going to see that this person is exactly what or exactly who the church needed in Acts chapter 11. There's a pivotal important time that we'll start out with here in just a moment. But we're going to see that this man who we've already looked at a couple times is exactly who the church needed. And I believe as we follow his example and look at the descriptors of his life, as we try to make them our descriptors of our lives of faith, we can be what the church needs. Okay? So this passage sort of begins here in Acts 11, verse 19, with sort of a summary statement of where, the, kind of catching us up on the larger, broader uh, church here, where they are and where they're going. So let's look at this first and kind of get caught up with where the church is and then find out what they needed and how this man later in Acts 11 was exactly what the church needed. So read Acts 11, starting at verse number 19. It says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. So I have a map here to kind of show you how far the church has gone in a pretty short period of time, just in a handful of years. So it starts, I'm going to point over here, starts in Jerusalem, right there, okay? But it says it went all the way to Phoenicia, which is way up here, and all the way to Cyprus, which is this island way up here. And it went to Syrian Antioch, which is that dot. That's where we're going to be today. Syrian Antioch is where we're going to be. But it also says some of the believers were all the way from Cyrene and from Cyprus. They went to Syrian Antioch. So see how far? I mean, we're talking 800 miles from here to here. We're talking 600 plus miles from here to Antioch, where we're going to be today. So in just a handful of years, the gospel has spread quickly, and it spread, as we see, to outsiders, people who are not in the Jewish faith, not of that tradition. They are totally disconnected from anything to do with the faith, you know, the, Judea, the Judeo-Christian faith as it is now uh, and as it is becoming in the first century here. And so this is an exciting time in the church. Now, it's stemming from persecution, so that's not so fun, but it, it goes to show that sometimes in those times of persecution is when the church grows. We see that even today. That's why you see the hot spots in the world where Christianity is growing and blossoming and it's healthiest. 
is usually in the places of the world where it's the most dangerous to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's just a, an interesting way to see where uh, we find ourselves. And we're going to be at that very top corner in Syrian Antioch today. And so when the church in, down in Jerusalem hears, man, Gentiles are being saved from hundreds of miles away. This thing is spreading and growing. They send our old pal Barnabas, who we've talked about a couple times before, to investigate what's been going on. And it turns out, as we'll see here, as Luke describes this man Barnabas and what he does in Antioch of Syria, he was exactly what the church needed. So let's read the rest of Acts 11 here. It's about eight or nine verses, and we'll see these descriptions of Barnabas and look through them and try to see if we can apply them uh, today and then this coming week. Acts 11, verse 22, when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived, he saw this evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. They did this they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So the first really half of this, we're going to focus mainly on Barnabas. But then the, the second half, the very end there, this gift that they bring, we'll get to as well in just a moment. But Barnabas here is a perfect picture of what the church needs. This description of Barnabas written by Paul is a beautiful description that I believe all believers in Jesus should emulate. The church in Acts needed a man like Barnabas, and the church today needs the same thing. And the world today needs the church to be the same thing. So let's talk about these key descriptors here, Barnabas. There are several of them that we'll get through, so it's going to be kind of rapid fire a little bit. It could have taken several weeks to do a whole series here, but we're just going to do it all into one and kind of hit these descriptions of Barnabas here and see that this is what the church needs. So the first way that Barnabas is described is he was full of joy. That the church needed. Now, I'm sure Barnabas, knowing you know other things about him, he was probably full of joy most of the time. This is probably a character trait that he had a majority of the time. But specifically here, it says that his joy was about the growth of the church. And you might think, well, that's natural. Of course, he's going to be excited about the growth of the church, and he's going to be you know joyful about the expansion of the church. But it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Barnabas to be a little unhappy about what's going on. I mean, if you look at what happened at the beginning of Acts 11, when Peter's already done this with Cornelius, these outsiders, the church in Jerusalem was not happy. They were not joyful at first. They had a lot of questions. They had some accusations against him. They, were, they had to be kind of talked into and convinced this was God's plan. So it would have been natural for Barnabas to follow suit and say, no, I, I, don't, I don't really like the changes I'm seeing here. I don't, that's why I even think that the word that came from uh, the Lord this morning was very interesting about even how we're starting this morning. Uh, in the message. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. Isn't that weird? You know how the Holy Spirit kind of knows what he's doing. He knows what's going on. Because sometimes we're tempted to be the way the church was in Acts 11. 
Sometimes as we maybe are going to reach new people and do new things, there's a tendency to maybe grow a little unhappy about that. Well, I don't want my church to change. I like it the way it is. I don't want us to grow and get too big because I kind of like it the way it is. I'm not sure about these new things, this new direction, these new decisions that we're making. I'm not sure if I can jive with that. I'm not sure if I'm joyful about where the church might be going. That's where Barnabas could have found himself. That's where the church in Acts 11 at first found themselves. But then they bought in. And we see here that instead of having that reaction, Barnabas instead was filled with joy. It's also possible Barnabas could have been filled with jealousy about what's going on. Right? He's not the one getting credit for the work. He's just checking up on what's being done. It's weird, though, that, that that's possible because he's the only one that's named in this story. Yeah, he's, doing, he's not the one doing the work. He's kind of checking up and making sure things are going okay. He's going to report back. He's kind of overseeing stuff, yet he's the one that is named in this story. But he might be worried, or it would be normal for one to worry, you know, if they're going to get credit for this or I'm going to get lost in all of this. It's, it's normal. It's human to think that way sometimes. But Barnabas chose joy. He praised God for the work that had been done without him being there. He praised God for the success the church was having in other parts. He praised God and had joy for the change that was happening in the church, that God was using them for his glory. And my prayer is that we would have joy like Barnabas. On a personal level, that we would have joy that we can celebrate with others. Because again, human nature is, why them and not me? Why is God blessing them and not me? Why did God answer their prayer and not me? But no, an attitude of joy is, God, thank you for answering their prayer. Thank you for blessing their life. It's an attitude. It's a choice. Joy. To not care who gets the credit on a certain thing or project that happens. Not to say, you know, I'm not sure about all of that. I'm kind of disgruntled. But no, what the church needed was joy. Barnabas provided that. It accelerated what was happening. What the church needs now is that same attitude of joy. Joy of what God is doing, even here in our midst at first century. The second um, descriptor of Barnabas here in Acts 11 is that he was a man of encouragement. Now, we already know this because that's what his name, Barnabas, means. We've already talked about this before. This man's name is actually Joseph, it tells us earlier in Acts. His nickname is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager, he had his name changed by the church leaders to you know, signify that's who he was. But he showed encouragement in a couple of ways throughout his life and, and, and through this story here in Acts as well. In Acts 4, when we first meet him, he showed encouragement through generosity. Because remember, it says he's from Cyprus. Remember that island on that map we looked at? That's where he's from. He had a piece of land either there or somewhere else, and he sold it in Acts 4 and gave the proceeds to the church. So through his generosity, he was encouraging what the church was doing. He was encouraging moving forward in the mission of the church. And this also encouraged others to do the same for them to be generous, for them to give and move on forward in the work that God had for the church. And generosity, if you, as you may or may not know, is one of our core values. Uh, we want people to know they matter and the community to know that we care. It's, it's who we are. And so as you give generously at first century, you are encouraging the work that we're trying to do. You're pushing it along. You're helping it along through the power of the Holy Spirit working through your generosity. Even this holiday season, as you've already been generous, as you'll continue to be generous even uh, for the Christmas holiday, you're encouraging not only the work of the church, but you're encouraging specific families in our community that need it at a very important time. 
But thinking about this time of year, people sometimes think about what they don't have or what they lack or they look at everybody else and they have the perfect postcard picture. You know, if you were going to make a puzzle of the scene, it wouldn't be at our house, right? Because we're eating beanie weenies from a can. So what you're doing is just by giving, just by, you know, donating these food items and donating things at Christmas, you're showing these people in the community that they matter. You're encouraging them. That's what the church needs. Barnabas also showed encouragement with his words and actions. In Acts 9, where we met him earlier, he was the one who took a chance on this new convert named Saul and introduced him to the church leaders. So he was encouraging Saul, hey, I got your back. I'm for you. I'm with you. Then here in Acts 11, he goes up to Tarsus, where Saul's gone back for a number of years in obscurity and pulled him down south a little bit to Syrian Antioch to help him teach for a year. He's taken a chance on kind of a green, inexperienced, wet-behind-the-ears Saul to teach these new converts in this large city. And also in Acts 11, it's, we'll focus on this verse later on, but he encouraged the church to stay true to the Lord. So through his teaching, through his words and actions, he was encouraging let me ask you, who is someone that you can encourage? Something as simple as a smile to somebody this week can encourage them. Just saying hello to someone where you work that gets overlooked and doesn't get recognition, that can encourage them. Maybe a text or a phone call to someone that, is, that you may not even know is down. Or maybe you do. You can encourage them, lift them up. But just a simple, just something simple can encourage someone else. And that's why, again, God knows what he's doing. Uh, that's why first impressions is so important here at First Century. You're the first line of defense on encouragement for people that walk in the door. That, what did you say, a beautiful face and a beautiful hand or whatever, however you describe that? Um, a smile and a hand, right? Uh, that's what people need because sometimes, especially if they're coming in for the first time, it's intimidating. I, I, we know that we're nice and normal and friendly. They don't know that. Maybe they've had a bad experience at a different church, and maybe they weren't welcomed at a different church, and maybe they just felt weird and awkward. So first impressions is a big deal. So if you'd like to volunteer in that area, you can be a Barnabas. You can be an encouragement here at the church. Uh, let me, another thing, maybe you are serving in that area, or you're, you're not, or whatever. Here's another way to do that here, even on the weekends. An easy way, get here 10 minutes earlier than you normally do, so you have that time before we get in here to encourage somebody. How is your week? How are things going? How can I pray for you? You can be an encouragement in a simple way. Again, that 10 minutes, we can do it, but we can make a huge impact. And I know that small groups are kind of phasing out for the fall, but a great way to be an encouragement is to join a small group when they get back up at the first of the year. You can join that community of encouragement to do life together with one another, to lift one another up, to pray for one another, to be more involved on a more personal level with other people here at the church. Encouragement is not that difficult to do, but it makes such a huge difference. So let's be what the church needs. Let's be an encouragement. Here's the third description of Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, and that is goodness. It says he was a good man. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure he was. That sounds great. But can we get more specific than that? What does that actually mean? So let's get into the Greek word here for just a second. The Greek word for good or goodness here that's used is agathos. Agathos is the Greek word. And there's a couple of different meanings. So Greek is weird because we can pull out three or four or five different meanings for one Greek word. They have different words for those things, and we just have the one sometimes. Uh, and so here, agathos, this goodness that Barnabas was, can mean pleasant or agreeable. Can I just tell you, the church needs pleasant and agreeable Christians. 
the world needs Christians to be pleasant and agreeable. They just need it. Our culture is already fractured and fragmented. Our culture is loud and opinionated. Our culture is angry and argumentative. The church should not be that. The church should be the opposite of that. Now, we're not going to agree with the culture on the things that they're saying. We're in opposition to that. But how we communicate that is important. So does goodness reflect how I interact with people online, through social media, through, you know, the, the, the uh, descriptions, the comments under YouTube videos? Like, am I a keyboard warrior or am I going to be even a Christian when I'm not known? We should be united and known for this goodness, this pleasantness in our lives. That's who we should be. That's what the church needs and what the world needs. It also says, though, goodness, this word agathos, is also useful. And the way that it describes it is this. It's zealous activity that does something for the benefit of another. So this word agathos can mean zealous activity that does something for the benefit of another. In Philippians 2, verse 4, Paul says to look out for your other's interest above your own. That's goodness. Paul, in Romans 12, verse 10, encourages us to outdo one another in showing honor to each other. That's goodness. A healthy church culture is a culture of honor. It's a culture of goodness. It's a culture of, I look for the best in you. I celebrate the best in you. I want to do what is best for you, not so that you now owe me. That's not goodness. That's blackmail, okay? But it's I, I look for the best in you. I celebrate the best in you. I want the best for you just because I love you. That kind of goodness culture is what the church needs. This pleasantness, this agreeableness, and this usefulness that looks for the best and the good in others. It's what the church needs. The next description of Barnabas here in Acts 11 is patience. He was a man of patience. So let's look at this verse here. I told you we'd come back to it, and here it is. Acts 11:23. it says, When he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Now, the reason he had to continue to encourage them to stay true to the Lord was because they were obviously having a hard time staying true to the Lord. And if you know about anything about Antioch of Syria, you would know why. Because Antioch of Syria is, at the time, was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. About half a million people lived in this city. It was a luxurious city. It was a cultured city. It was known for its chariot races. So everybody went there, kind of like Vegas, okay, which is the way it's described. I'll, I'll look at that in a second. Uh, it was a busy port town. It was a cosmopolitan city. Trade was important, so it was an important business city. It was important politically to the empire. But in all of that, obviously, it's a very pagan city. The main worship, they had temples for Daphne, uh, and so there were temple, they were called priestesses, but basically they're temple prostitutes. So the way you worship is in ungodly, obviously ungodly ways. That was the main, so it's, one commentator described it this way, well, two of them described it this way, and I put them together. One commentator said, basically, it's like a modern-day New York City. It's so important in so many ways. Another one said it's kind of like a modern-day Las Vegas. What happens there stays there. Combine those. If you combine the hustle and bustle and the economic importance and driver of New York City with the nightlife of Las Vegas, that's where we are in Antioch of Syria. 
That's where we are. And so the gospel's reaching new people. That's great, but these new believers need a lot of help. They need a lot of support. They need a lot of patience in this culture because it's tempting for them, obviously, to go back to their old way of life, their old habits. It's a strong pull for them. So Barnabas kept saying, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. And he was so patient that when he went and got Paul to help him do this, they stayed there for a year. They stayed there for as long as it took to get these people rooted and grounded in their faith. They were patient with these people. And their patience paid off. Their patience paid off. Because the church in Antioch became a missionary powerhouse. We'll see in Acts 13, it's this church that sends out Barnabas and Saul on Paul's first missionary journey. This church that is kind of out of control, that needs a lot of patience, a lot of time, a lot of extra work, they're the ones that start Paul's ministry around the world. Even here in Acts 11, at the end that we saw, they, they hear about the need for the church down south in Judea, and they make a collection. Now, they have the means to do so, and so they, they say, hey, we've got the money, and we're kind of well-to-do, and so we're going to send they said, all that we can to them. And they have Barnabas and Saul go back down south toward Jerusalem to deliver this generous offering to help out this church that's going through a famine in the Roman world. Patience. Let me ask you this, who is that person in your life that needs your patience? Maybe it's a child that keeps messing up. Maybe they're an adult child, but they keep screwing everything up. They need your patience. Maybe it's a parent that won't grow up, and they need your patience. Maybe it's a neighbor that is just antagonistic and just, oh, it's like they're the worst. They need your patience. Maybe it's someone that you work with every single day, but they need your patience. Maybe it's a new Christian and you keep, they keep, you know, flopping on their face. They, like Barnabas and Saul, like they, they just maybe need a little bit more time and attention. They need patience. The key is that we have patience with people and with God's process, both. Because it, we have to give people room to grow, give them help to grow, support and time through patience to grow. It's people and it's the process, and like the patience of Barnabas and Saul, it paid off. The church grew, matured, and sent out ministry and gifts and all sorts of things. I believe that as we're patient with people, we can see world changers that we would never have imagined. Because, first, most importantly, the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. But secondly, because of our patience with them. I'm not going to throw them to the side because they can't get their act together. I'm not going to look down upon them because they're not up to my level. Well, of course not. Maybe they're a new Christian. Maybe they have a different background than you. But our patience can pay off. We can see huge spiritual dividends with people as we are patient with them, patient with the people and the process that God is doing in them. The next description of Barnabas here is he was known for his dependability. Dependability. The only other recorded instance that we have so far in Acts where the church sends someone to investigate what's happening is Peter and John personally, the leaders, go personally to see what's happening with Philip in Samaria. We read about that earlier in Acts several months ago. But this time, they send Barnabas. He's not an apostle. He's not a top church leader, but he was dependable, right? We know from Acts 11 that people are coming from Cyprus, uh, the, the island, among other places where he's from. We know that from Acts chapter 4. So Barnabas seems like an obvious choice. He's kind of from the northern part there. He's from that island. So, you know, he might, it might be a good fit for him to go. But the church is not just going to send anybody. 
to see what's going on. They're not just going to send Joe Schmo to go find out. They have to send someone who's dependable, that they can count on. And so Barnabas clearly fits that description. He had a record of dependability. We see this in what we've seen already in Barnabas. In Acts 4, so in Acts 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira, they make this offering, but they lied about it. They didn't really follow through on what they said they were. But Barnabas starts this chain in in Acts 4 of generosity, but he followed through. He sold it and gave it to the church without holding it back and not lying about it. So he had this dependability factor in his generosity. His hunch about Saul in Acts 9 proved to be right. He was dependable in his word, in his reasoning, in his insight. And he was known as, a, as an encourager consistently enough to where his name is actually changed. He has, he's known by his nickname. So he's dependable. When it comes to dependability, here are some, there are other, what I want to call other abilities that make up dependability. And all these work together to make this common thread. So there's capability. Are you able to execute the mission? Are you competent to do this? There's reliability. Not just can you do it one time, but can you repeat the process? Can you do it again and again and again? Or are you going to drop the ball? Are you going to flake out? Are you going to quit halfway through? Are you not going to follow through? It's not just capability, but reliability. And then the other ability that makes up dependability is flexibility. Can you adapt to change? Because even though you may have already been capable and reliable, what if something happens you didn't expect in the process the third time or fourth time through? Can you adapt or are you just going to say, I'm out? It's supposed to work this smoothly. Step one, two, three, four, uh, something got out of order. I'm, gonna, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too difficult. It's capability, reliability, and flexibility. Barnabas was flexible because he wasn't planning on traveling 600 miles north, but he went. He was flexible. He didn't probably plan on staying there for a year, but he was flexible. He probably didn't plan on going back down south with with a generous offering, but when they needed him, he was flexible and available. He was capable, reliable, and flexible, which meant he was dependable. So let me just say this about dependability. If you're only willing to do what you want to do, you'll miss what God is going to do. That's the power of dependability. If you're only willing to do what you want to do, you'll miss what God is going to do. I know over the years, uh, through, even through the local church here, you know, people will say, well, what can I do? How can I help? You know, I want to do this and want to do that. And again, our goal, as much as we are able, is to match up how you're hardwired and gifted to a function in the church. Now, there are ways we can do that much better, and there are, but there are some times where there's not an immediate obvious fit. So that's where flexibility really has to come into play. Adaptability has to be part of that. Because a lot of people say, I want to help, I want to do this. And then I'll tell them, well, here's the main needs that we have right now. I think you could fit in here. And then I hear crickets from people. Hear nothing back from them sometimes. And then, then what happens is there's this frustration that builds on both ends. Because, well, they said they wanted to help and there's a need we can, they can fill. But they refuse, and then they're frustrated because they feel like that I'm not being used here at the church, and so they get upset, and they get mad, and it just kind of blows up, right? There's a lack of dependability sometimes, even in local churches that just cannot, that just not described, you know, Barnabas isn't described that way here. There's something, there's something more to that. So we have to be able to see these other abilities in uh, dependability. If we're only willing to do what we want to do, we'll miss what God's going to do. It's just the way it is. So um, the church needs that. The church, our church needs dependability. And I'm so thankful um, 
for the dependable people that we have here at First Century. I'm so thankful that we have people who are capable, reliable, flexible, dependable. I'm thankful for you. And so each of us, like Barnabas, I pray that we would be strong, steady, dependable rocks because that's what the church desperately needs. And then here's the last one that kind of sums up all of the ones that we've listed so far. Uh, a main description uh, of Barnabas is that he had spirit-empowered faith. Acts eleven twenty four. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And here's the result. Many people were brought to the Lord. When you think about all these descriptions of Barnabas, you think, man, this is a superhero. This guy is superhuman. And it's like, no, he just simply relied on the supernatural. He was a normal, natural person who relied on the supernatural. He wasn't super special. He relied upon the supernatural. He was full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith. And it's funny when you think about these descriptions that we've listed in Barnabas so far. If you think about this list, put them in a list, it might sound very familiar to you. You might have heard a very similar list elsewhere in Scripture. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul writes this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We've seen five of these, I believe, listed in, in Barnabas. So love, I, I see that as his encouragement, came from a place of love. Joy was listed flat out, patience listed flat out, goodness listed flat out, faithfulness is his dependability. He is exhibiting fruit of the Spirit. So I wonder when Paul's writing Galatians 5, he's thinking about Barnabas maybe. Man, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is who he, this is who he can be for you. Man, Barnabas, he had a lot of these going on. Man, Barnabas, and that's what's so, I think, I thought of this even this week. Barnabas is kind of a sneaky guy. He's a sneaky character. We usually don't, when we think of Acts, we think about Peter, John, Paul, you know, these people. Barnabas, we're going to see a lot of him even early on with Paul for quite a while. He's a very sneaky, powerful influence in the church. He is what the church needed. And so here's, here's the power behind spirit-empowered faith is today, I, I'm not trying to give you a list of things to do. I'm trying to show you the kind of life you can live. I'm trying to show you that a spirit-filled, spirit-led life can make a powerful impact in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in the people that you are friends with, in your community around you. Again, this is not a list of things to do. This is a kind of life that you can live. Barnabas helped lead this church to make a difference. If you remember what it said, this was the first place believers were called Christians, little Christs. And again, think about the culture that they're in. They are in a pagan, godless, sexualized culture far from God, kind of like we are now. And yet, because people like Barnabas were all over the church with this way of living, it made a huge impact. So you can make that same difference. You can make that same impact with your life as you live a spirit-empowered life. Because on his own, could Barnabas have been encouraging and full of joy and patient and full of goodness and dependable? Probably not. But through the Holy Spirit, he could. Same for you. Can you be encouraging, full of joy, patient, full of goodness and dependable on your own? 
Probably not. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can. You can. So you know what the church needs? The church needs you and me living this kind of spirit-empowered life. It needs you and me not trying to do it on our own, not in our own way, in our own timing, with our own agenda, right? It needs us just relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit, helping us to be this kind of person. That's what the church needs, and this kind of church is what the world needs. So what do you say? Let's be what the, let's be what the church needs. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, that's our prayer today is that we would be what the church needs. We would see this example of Barnabas and really see the example of Jesus, our high priest, our savior, our spotless lamb, who was definitely all of these things to a different degree. God, help us to be encouraging and full of joy. Help us to be for one another and not against one another. Help us to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. Help us to be a collective, united team, a powerful force of joy and encouragement in this divided and dark world. God, help us to be full of goodness. May we, may we be pleasant and agreeable. Not that we agree with everything, but that even in our disagreements, we find a better way to get our point across. We do it in a, in a way that is good, in a way that is loving. Help us to be that kind of person who is useful through our words and actions and our generosity. God, may we be people who are patient, patient with people, patient with your process in those people. Help us to be grace-giving. Help us to be forgiving. Help us to resist frustration in your process. May we not try to rush it or take it over, but just follow your plan, follow your process in patience. And God, may we be dependable people of God, people who can be counted on, people who can adapt and roll with the punches as things progress, people who just say, not my will, but yours, people who will be there, song, strong, solid, rock kind of people. And most importantly, God, may we understand we cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have your power and your anointing and your blessing in our life to do this, to be this kind of person, to pull this off. On my own, I cannot have patience for people, but through you I can. On my own, I am not good, but in you I find goodness to spread to those around me. Without you, I have no joy, but you give me joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Without the Holy Spirit, I can't do much of anything. But with the Holy Spirit, I can do pretty much anything. God, help us to live this kind of Barnabas way of life because that is what the church needs and that is what the world needs. Help us this week to find those people to be full of joy for, to be encouraging to, to be there, to uplift them, and to be the people your church needs. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.